Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Hey, y'all, it's Mike. I know you love listening to CityCast DC, and I suspect you love $250 Visa gift cards. And if you want to combine these things, uh, we have a survey out there. It is supposed to make us a better podcast because it finds out about you, the listener, and what you are into and not into. It's at citycast.fm survey. You will get entered to win $250 of Visa gift cards, which you can spend on anything you want, including presents for me. It's only five minutes long. It's all multiple choice. We need 100 people to do it, so please do it now. Once again, it is citycast.fm slash survey. And today on CityCast DC, folks, it is hazy out there. CityCast producer Julia Karen is here to talk Canadian smoke and DC geography. Plus, it's Pride Month, and CityCast contributor and all-around good guy Dan Reed has been reading up on that month's local history. And great news, everybody. Congress, remember them? They've got some thoughts on voting rules in the district. We will discuss them. Today is Friday, June 9th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. Dan, Julia, how's it going, guys? Smoky. I was going to say, how are you all holding up? Uh, well, you tell us, Julia, because <laughs> we all know that there's like scary language about the quality of the air. And, you know, people, at least people I run into, uh, are uh, speaking with great authority about like the numbers, like it's at <laughs> 200 and whatever. And, like, and I suspect that zero people knew what any of these numbers meant a week ago. Yeah, everyone's playing armchair scientist out here. So to start off, like, here is why it is so weird and hazy in D.C. Uh, there are something like 400 wildfires going on in Canada. And that smoke is blowing all the way down the East Coast. So you might have seen the, like, really apocalyptic-looking photos of New York City, where they were covered in this, like, orangey haze, and you could barely make out, like, the Empire State Building. That is what is going on here. They send us Lauren Michaels. They send us The Weeknd. Yeah. And now they send us smoke. They're, now they're, we're getting all the smoke. Um, so different sections of D.C. have different air quality ratings based on how much of the smoke or particulate is in the air. So a good example was on Wednesday, D.C. proper was in a code red. So basically, if you had something like asthma, if you had any breathing problems, anything like that, it was recommended you don't go outside. D.C. public schools canceled, like, recess. They had to have indoor recess and stuff like that. Anything like that. And for the normal public, it was like, maybe, like, wear a mask when you go outside. Meanwhile, Arlington was at code purple. That's like, don't go outside unless you, like, work a job. And if you do work a job outside, 
wear your K and 95. Wait, who comes up with these codes? Because in my world, red has got to be worse than purple. Right? I don't know, man. Uh, apparently, uh, maroon is the worst. Whatever. The, the point is, um, overall, uh, it's been hazy here and the air quality has gotten worse. So obviously, as the smoke cloud particulate stuff moves further south, the air quality is going to get worse before it gets better. Typically, D.C. has pretty good air quality. So this is definitely strange. Well, right. So D.C., you know, it's not like a city that has had like big, like dark satanic mills belching smoke, (laughs) you know, into the lungs of the urchins. Um, Whether it was a rich neighborhood or a poor neighborhood, it tended not to have industrial pollution because it didn't have much industry. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, like when you whenever you read about like, you know, pilgrims and pioneers in olden times, and they arrive at some place where they're going to found a city. And it's like, you know, they found a pleasant hill where the air was good, you know, and they were like sensing these things of like whether whether uh, uh, there was breeze and circulation and so on in different places. And I assume it stands to reason that like the people with wealth and power got the places with the nice uh, air and the people without it who came later or whatever got the suckier places. And I don't know if like in this case, like based on your looking at the map of where the uh, air quality is best and worst during this smoke season, does it track like socioeconomically or politically or, or, or anything? Like Tacoma Park, right? It's an Indian name meaning high up near heaven. And so it was founded as a place that was higher up and had cleaner air. So how's that going for them today? Yeah. So I am looking at this map by purpleair.com. And currently there is like no difference between wards. It's all around this really high number of like 316, which the closer you get to 400, 500, it's bad. There's this one section uh, near Bladensburg, Maryland, like right inside Uh, the diamond that's at like 415. But besides that, everything is around like this 300 area. So you would think that obviously if people have like, you know, fancier houses and HEPA filters that like generally, like would the air quality be better or like based on the design of the city, does that matter? Apparently not. So what as a a non-asthmatic person am I supposed to do or not supposed to do? Can I go running? No. Do not do strenuous activity outside. I'm sorry. Can I go walking? You could, but if you wore a mask, that would be better, particularly because we are at this, you know, darker end of the spectrum. Um, Additionally, one thing that is relevant to you all, I don't have a pet that goes outside, but your pets can suffer outside too. So if your dogs need to go on a walk outside, try to make it minimal. I know that for dogs who need to get the zoomies out, that's a very tough ask. (laughs) But yeah, give it your best shot. So is this a thing where your like filter for your AC is going to help you out? The short answer is not particularly. You might have to change your filter a little bit more frequently. Obviously, you're supposed to change it once a month. I don't know how many of us follow those guidelines or rules. But you might notice in your car, you have a recirculator button for the air that's already in your car. And that just recirculates the air that's already in there. You kind of want the same effect in your house if you don't have your windows open. If you've had your windows open, close your windows, find a way to get the smoky air out. I know the way that I did that was in my bathroom, I have one of those vent fans that goes out and I just turned the fan on in my main living space. I pumped a little bit of cool air in and then I recirculated that to get the air out and I was fine. (laughs) 
So I'm looking at this purple air map to see where, how far do I need to go to get some clean air. Uh, it sounds like I'm going to Vermont. So I see mean, ya. I imagine Vermont got hit earlier, but the the short answer is like yes, Vermont right now is is doing all right. Well, I will just say that I live with uh, two young people who've had end of the year field trips canceled. The long-awaited Potomac River boat ride by the, by the fifth grade class was replaced by watching Wakanda Forever in class, and uh, nobody seemed to mind that. That's um, pretty good least, movie. Or at least my yeah. uh, my representative from the class did not seem to mind that. The tenth graders going to Six Flags, though, that's a, a real a real loss. I think the, the whole the whole community is feeling the same there. <laughs> exactly. the The best thing I saw kind of all day was this tweet. Uh, that said, you can use the N95 mask you bought for the pandemic to filter out the wildfire smoke engulfing the entire Northeast is a neat little sentence that lets you know we're in the fun part of the century that future historians are going to talk about a lot. So in the future, <laughs> when those kids go on those field trips or have those end of the year things, uh, maybe they're going to be learning about this time where we had a pandemic and then had to repurpose our N95 masks to be able to go outside and walk. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. Hi, so speaking of fun, uh, this week there's been a hearing on Capitol Hill about uh, voting because uh, the majority party in the the House is uh, really focused on uh, voter fraud and preventing it. There has been apparently zero recorded instances of voter fraud in uh, D.C. in the last four decades, but that is not going to stop anyone from uh, proposing changes to D.C. laws that don't affect them. And up on the Hill in this hearing, there was a lot of uh, concern about a bunch of different changes D.C. has done in the last few years for voting. One of them is mailing ballots unsolicited to everyone in D.C., uh, the idea is like you get one, you don't want it, you don't pay attention to it. Somebody could, in theory, come and steal yours and cast a vote illegally. Mm. Again, there's no evidence that anyone's done this, but another is allowing people to vote without having a driver's license or a proper ID. You know, this was these progressive laws in DC are because the distribution of things like driver's licenses and proper IDs are economically and racially skewed. Uh, so the idea is to try to make uh, everyone able to vote and so on. But uh, this is sort of a, it's kind of a retro thing here where a committee in Congress is trying to make a big stink around voting nationally. Uh, however, they don't get to push around, you know, New York or Chicago or San Francisco. So who can they push around? Well, D.C. And so you have people who aren't from here, aren't concerned with here, all of a sudden testifying as great experts on on our laws in order for members of the committee, I guess, to be able to associate themselves with this issue that is important to them and and their constituents. Yeah. I mean, from what I saw, a lot of the anger and frustration was over a new D.C. law that allows 
non-citizens, so including right. undocumented immigrants, uh, to vote in local elections as early as next year. Uh, and funny story, Tacoma Park, Maryland and Burlington, Vermont have adopted similar laws, and I do not hear any outcry or outrage right. over this kind of stuff. And then no one can, because there's, they are, you know, they are fully empowered citizens to do something. I think that the point here is, I don't know, people in America, local communities in America ought to be able to decide how they want to handle things like their elections. And Washington, because of our weird legal status, doesn't get to make the same decisions, either good or bad, as people anywhere, anywhere else. And it's just cringy. Yeah, I don't like it. And it's funny, like, Jamie Raskin, who's a uh, rep from Maryland, said, like, non-citizen voting basically dates back to the country's early years. And he basically dismissed a lot of these concerns and security claims over, like, the possibility of a handful of Russian diplomats, like, swaying an ANC election. Like, do the Russians even know what an ANC is? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, there are folks here who don't even know what it is, so. <laughs> that is that is a fair point for election integrity. <laughs> All right, so Dan, a few years ago, one of the first times we ever hung out, we were I, I, I have this memory of us talking about Pride Month. And at that time, this was in the, the hallowed days of like 2015 or something, you know, it was it had kind of like moved from being this like politically loaded thing, you know, a, a push for rights and respect in a country that was not granting it, to almost like a quaint like old-fashioned ethnic festival, like St. Patrick's Day or something. And all the politicians, straight or gay, they would show up because this is a big constituency you don't want to alienate. And it was kind of like charmingly kitschy and, and so on. Um, but that's because the assumption was like we have entered an era of like acceptance and you know, gay uh, citizens are just like any other citizen and there's nobody who's going to be freaking out about that. And now uh, all of a sudden here we are in a time when there's, you know, people throwing stuff at targets and so on. And uh, and Pride Month all of a sudden has like a, a kind of a political sharpness to it and a political import to it. Can you like walk us through like how it's been in DC, how we got here? Yeah, make no mistake, we have come so far, especially in the past 20 years or so, but there's still a lot of work to do. And I find myself, especially with all the unrest going on around trans rights or book bans in schools or inexplicably pride uh, merch on display at Target, looking back at how people fought for the rights that we do have in the first place. So, for example, did you know that until the 1990s, gay bars were banned in Virginia? Wait, are there gay bars in Virginia now, though? There are a couple. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, you got to ask the question. One of the best drag shows in my life was in Richmond, Virginia. Cool. So uh, the way it worked is Virginia has statewide liquor control. As we know, you can only buy liquor at state-run stores, and the state has control over liquor licenses for bars. So there was this law from the 1930s that basically said uh, bars could not hire gay people to work there or serve gay people in addition to uh, and I'm quoting from the law, narcotics, drunks, prostitutes, pimps, panderers, gamblers, or habitual law violators. And this was basically how things were until 1990, uh, when a lesbian couple was kicked out of a nightclub in Alexandria for dancing with each other. Alexandria was one of the few places in the state or the region that had protections for, for gay residents. Uh, so one half of the couple, a house painter from Silver Spring named Dale Barnherd, filed a complaint. Let's briefly talk about Dale. She was a neighbor of mine, house painter, a competitive swimmer who nearly went to the Olympics in the 60s, but Whoa. couldn't because women's competitive swimming didn't exist, and later competed in the gay games, a real trailblazer. 
The owner of the bar apologizes, but says he's just following the law. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of political will to change that. You know, even liberal state legislators in Virginia were afraid of being called a, quote, queer lover. The governor, Doug Wilder, who to this day is one of the few black governors in U.S. history, he was running for president. He insists, you know, he doesn't hate gay people. He even met a, quote, transsexual while on the campaign trail. And this was, you know, uh, even gay activists in Virginia were kind of sedate, right? Uh, the founder of the Virginia Gay Alliance was quoted in the Post a few years prior saying that Virginia gays don't rock the boat. Dale was not one of them. Uh, so she and the owner of the only gay bar at the time in Northern Virginia, Murray Greenberg, decide to sue. Uh, Murray himself is a provocateur, right? He had already gotten in trouble for having male nude drawings in his upstairs lounge. And the state had literally required him to paint briefs on, on them. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, Virginia state officials were kind of sheepish about it, right? They were like, we only enforce this law sometimes when we do it when people complain. It's embarrassing, even though people are afraid of looking like they're too close to gay people, right? It helps that the only person who had filed the complaint about the French Quarter, uh, the only gay bar in Northern Virginia, was a failed local politician named William Glasgow, who uh, told the Washington Post he thought gay bars were a pathway to anarchy. Uh, he's the reason why Murray Greenberg had to paint those briefs on his nudes and uh, ended up suing Murray for libel because Murray called the briefs, quote unquote, Glasgow cover-ups. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> So it's it's a mess. Um, this guy makes the opposition look pretty bad. Uh, the courts say the ban is unconstitutional, and so they drop it. It is the last ban on gay bars in the United States. Uh, Murray throws the mother of all parties to celebrate. Everyone lives happily ever after or something. Here's my question, Dan. Did it lead to full-fledged anarchy in the streets after they overturned it? It's Virginia, so no. <laughs> <laughs> there are gay bars in Virginia. Um well, I went to a, used to go to a drag night at a sports bar in Fairfax, which is not the same. In sort of a, a weird echo of this, uh, the city of Fairfax ended up shutting it down because they thought it was a burlesque show, which uh, famously drag queens cannot strip. It's not how the act works. So <laughs> fun times, as always. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You, you highlight all these stories from the suburbs and the old uh, notion had been, you know, the cities are where like bohemians live and the suburbs mm -hmm. are where like boring stage people <laughs> live. And that was probably never true as you have just demonstrated, but especially now the geography of LGBT life is much less city focused than it had been. Yeah, it's interesting. In my little deep dive into the Washington Post archives, I found this article from the 80s where it was saying that gay people were actually moving out of Virginia and Maryland into D.C. because they felt, you know, openly like persecuted. Right. Like in the 80s in Virginia, uh, there was a story about cops arresting a guy in the George Mason University library just for reading a copy of The Washington Blade. And that's actually one indication of how things have changed. Right. You know, there are many openly gay elected officials in Maryland and Virginia. Montgomery County has its first uh, openly gay council president this year, Evan Glass. It's changed a lot. Well, and 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 look at you know D.C. also like played a role in in that move into town in the sense that Washington was one of the first places in the country that had a civil rights law, uh, so people knew that they would be protected in the District of Columbia. There's now um, a lot more constituencies in the burbs 
where people similarly feel protected. So your like risk of like getting fired or whatever has, which which means you can then decide based on other things. Like, do you want to live in a you know cul-de-sac or or whatever? And uh, people have voted with their feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is you know one a friend of mine sort of explained it to me yesterday. People come to work in D.C. for the federal government or affiliated things. It was also a place where you could be comfortably out. And as that community grew, it was big enough that there were pockets of gay life in the suburbs that you could still be a part of. As acceptance grew, it's possible now you can live your suburban lifestyle dream by a big house, raise kids, etc. I know I know a lot of gay married couples in big houses in Montgomery County. It's this is this is what we wanted, right? <laughs> right. Or you can just deal if you don't feel like paying the rent in incredibly expensive DC neighborhoods. Yeah. The flip side is people get priced out too. You know, gay and queer and trans people still likely to get paid less, still like more likely to experience homelessness, especially queer and trans youth. And that is as much a suburban problem as a as a DC problem too. You know, we're seeing it in Montgomery County now, uh, where protesters came out to the school board earlier this week because they were upset that their kids would be exposed to LGBTQ themed books. And you know, the school board is holding firm on that, but it's a reminder that we, you know, we've come so far and yet not that far at all. Who were these protesters? Were they um, Montgomery Countyites, or, or or was this? Many of these were parents in Montgomery County, uh, mostly for religious reasons, claiming that they didn't want their kids exposed to this stuff. And the things they're saying now sounded just like the stuff I read in these articles from the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Pathway to anarchy and so forth. Exactly. So speaking of the pathway to anarchy, Saturday and Sunday there are a bunch of pride <laughs> events going on. Are any of you frequenting them? And if you do, please hydrate. Please hydrate. My God. I'm I'm marching in it, so I'm going to... There you go. (laughs) Uh, All right. So if you want to see Dan uh, marching... Live and in person and in full anarchy mode. (laughs) What are you going to be wearing? I've got some uh, red sparkly nail polish I'm excited to try. First time. (laughs) Where can I... Where and when should I go if I want to catch a peek at you? So the parade kicks off at 3 at uh, the intersection of 14th and T Northwest, and it goes to DuPont Circle. If you've been to the parade the past few years, the the um, route is a little different now mm-hmm. uh, compared to several years ago. And then uh, there'll also be a block party all day Saturday on 17th Street between P and Q starting at noon. There'll be local performers, DJs, and two beverage gardens. And then, of course, uh, Sunday is the Pride Festival on Pennsylvania Avenue all day with live entertainment on three stages, food, drink, over 300 exhibitors, a concert that night. I heard Ikea has a booth, which me personally, very excited about. Ikea has a booth. See, this is is how far we've come. What are they giving away at their booth? A rainbow couch? Desk? Maybe? Probably a desk. I could use another (laughs) desk. Like a good, a good queer desk, you know, yes. for my. So you can you can compose your anarchist <laughs> manifestos there. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, listen. I hope you have a good parade out there. I hope I can breathe. Bring that masked man. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and we've got uh, because it's Friday. We have our tip of the day from our sales rep, Mark Kolkowski. And he says, listen, the Jazz in the Garden lottery is a real toss-up. So many people apply, it's rare to get a ticket. And even if you do it, it is crazy crowded in there and the drinks are wildly expensive. So instead, says Mark, camp out on the National Mall close to the Sculpture Garden. The bands are loud enough that you can hear them from outside and you can snack on your own food and drink. That's the move. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Dan, Julia, thank you guys for being here. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilve, and producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, why not get afloat in a parade and tell everyone about it? We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. I think her theory as to why it happened this way is like, (coughs) wow, that air quality. That's smoke, baby. I know.